This uh, second week, I think you've probably caught on to it by now, but we're going to be talking about peace. It's amazing, isn't it, that in the story of Jesus' birth, you have, you know, if you set the scene, the world's pretty broken. People have been doing what is right in their own eyes. God has come and created man. They've rebelled. They've cultivated sin and wickedness and brokenness. And God calls out a special people. He gives them a covenant and promise to them and tells them that they need to be a light to the nations. Instead, they wander off into idolatry time and time again. God sends prophets to warn them and bring them back. And sometimes they're heard for a moment, but it's, it's quick back to the wandering. Finally, the final prophet comes, and then there's 400 years of silence. No new word from the Lord given, and people are just waiting and waiting and waiting. And then all of a sudden, on a Bethlehem hill, appears in the night sky, not just like cute little Christmas angels, in case you didn't know the story, but an angelic host of angels. What that is, is literally the sky is filled with the army of heaven. It's not Cupid. The army of heaven shows up in the sky. And again, remember, people have been wandering rejecting God and his ways, ignoring and neglecting the warnings from prophets. And what do you think the angels are going to say when they open up their mouth, if you're in those days? Certainly not peace. But the narrative says, as this angelic host opens up their mouth, a multitude, they begin to praise God and they say to the people, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's like, how awesome is that? How amazing would it be for the sky to open up today? The Lord sends his heavenly hosts to give you a word and the whole angel army looks at you and speaks into your life and your heart and your mind and says, we've come to literally give you peace. Wouldn't that just wash over you in such a beautiful, refreshing way? And the, the testimony of Advent is that peace has come. I texted Mike earlier this morning. I was driving in. He used to say this with, you know, he says it with his family about love and he says it with hope. And I just texted him this morning. I literally felt the peace of God like wash over me. I was turning my mind and attention to the peace of God over even situations and thoughts running amok and I texted Michael and just said, you know, peace exists. It just exists. And so what a beautiful thing this, morning, thing this morning that we can open up God's word. We can look at the giver of peace, the person of peace. And my prayer for us today is that we would actually experience peace in a deeper way. So let's bow our heads and ask God for his help. God of peace, would you grant us peace today? in every way. Would you even cause us this morning in the time that we have to be still? Would you pray this, I I pray this for you all and I pray that you pray this for yourself. Would you quiet our souls? Would you bring us 
a sense of composure and calm and renew our minds that we would know the God of peace more intimately and that we would be people of peace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to you know, ask you to rate your life on a scale of one through 10. How peaceful do you think you are? <laughs> it's like, I would bet the average answer in here would be below five. <laughs> like, I don't know, my mind, my circumstances, my needs, my life, busy, busy, busy. And oh my goodness, does culture just beg you to be more busy? I was reading and um, rereading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I was reading this week and there was a statistic that I was like, this cannot be true. And so I like started doing a little bit of math. I don't know if it's true or not. It might be close. It said that the average American sees close to 4,000 ads a day. Now, not that you're watching 4,000 commercials, but there's some kind of advertisement or something vying for your attention, marketing, surrounding your life every day. That's crazy. And it's actually going after your busyness. It's trying to feed all of these things that you feel that can never actually be satisfied apart from Jesus. And so the whole world around us is just begging us to be more busy, which actually, you know, is quite the opposite of peace. So like, what does peace actually look like? What does the Bible talk about when it talks about peace? And so let's, let's give some examples of peace from the Bible. First of all, the two words in Hebrew, it's shalom. And the word shalom actually can be quite literally translated complete or whole, to be made complete or whole. In the Greek, it's irene, which means harmony often or prosperity or tranquility. There's other meanings for sure and context can dictate this. But for the most part, this is what these two words mean. There are theologians and scholars, great pastors who know all these categories of peace in the Bible. So you've got things like the absence of war or chaos means peace exists there. You've got being in right relationship with God or being in right relationship with others, peace with God and man. You've got this individual internal virtue or state of being. I've got this inner peace, tranquility, harmony, or it can be a greeting or a benediction. If you look at actual examples of how this word can be used, going back to that word shalom, to make complete or be whole, there's an example, the Bible project is super helpful here. Joshua 8.31, shalom can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks or a perfect stone wall that has no gaps or missing bricks. This will be important for us. In Job 5.24, I believe it's with cattle, it's like something complex with a lot of pieces, yet it's in a state of completeness. In Proverbs 16, 7, to bring shalom is actually to reconcile or heal a relationship. Something that's broken being mended, shalom. If you look in the New Testament, every single Pauline letter has a greeting or a benediction, many of them both, that includes peace. Always in Paul's mouth when he says hello or goodbye, you've got these words, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ or the God of peace be with you. Peter includes it in his two letters, both in greeting and benediction. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Yes, please, Lord, let it be so. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. In second and third John, John says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and truth, and in love. 
And so what does peace then have to do with Advent? Why has church history marked the second week of Advent for us to turn our attention and our mind into the experience and understanding of peace? A more holistic approach of shalom reveals that peace is not just the absence of something like war and conflict or brokenness or fear being removed, but shalom is also the presence of something. Life is complex. Our lives are full of moving parts. You've got relationships, situations, responsibilities, stewardships. And when any of these things are out of alignment or missing in our life, our shalom breaks down. You feel that, don't you? Internally. In fact, that's probably many of yours like daily state at some points. Like this is probably more your experience than anything else. Things feel out of alignment. Our life is no longer like whole. It needs to be restored or mended. And the act of shalom, what God came to do is actually make complete and restore that which is broken in our hearts and in our lives. It began in Genesis chapter three, this brokenness. You guys, many of you know the story. You had before Genesis 3, in God's creation, there's perfect peace. God and man, man and woman, man and creation, man and beast. Everything was shalom. It was perfect. Man rebelled against God. They gave into the lie of the serpent. They deceived one another and were deceived. And what happens? Sin, disease, disaster, brokenness, busyness, evil, everything becomes broken. Now, there is a remedy that's prophesied immediately after where God says to the ancient serpent that one day he's going to put enmity between him and the woman and between his offspring and her offspring and this offspring will bruise the serpent's head and he shall bruise his heel. We'll come back to that in a moment. And so the story continues and Israel is supposed to be bringing peace and God's peace is seemingly breaking through in some kind of ways but there's all this rebellion Remember, we mentioned that shalom isn't just the absence of something, but the presence of something. So shalom isn't just about removing sin, removing disease, removing disaster, broken relationships, etc., which it is for sure at least that, and we'll experience that fully in the world to come. But shalom also must include the presence of something, whereas the Bible speaks of it, the presence of someone. So peace has everything to do with Advent because Jesus' birth is the arrival of shalom. When Jesus came, he came to a chaotic, broken, incomplete world in order that he might make it whole. Christmas is the arrival of the Prince of Peace ushering in his kingdom of peace. You know, we talk here at New City often about renewal. And you maybe heard us, if you've been here long enough, about waves of renewal. Sometimes you miss a wave. You know, you go out with a surfboard and it's like, not that I think a lot of you are surfers in here. I've certainly never surfed. (laughs) Maybe you are. But like if you watch people who are surfing, <laughs> sometimes it feels like they don't catch every wave. But the beautiful thing is what? There's always another wave coming. And so you just catch the next wave. We've talked about that language with renewal. Advent is another wave of renewal for you to catch the peace of God and live into it. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. This is prophesied. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And so the arrival of Jesus and then his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension gives the devil a fatal blow. We've talked about how the devil is bleeding out. He's not finally crushed yet. There's still brokenness in our world that needs to be mended by peace, which is why if you go back to that prophecy, the remedy in Genesis 3, that an offspring would come and crush the head of the serpent, this is what Paul says in Romans 16.20. The God, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so while we wait for the fullness of God's kingdom to come where peace will know no end, we are still to experience and to spread God's shalom. You know, you could say the earth is filling up with heaven. You get glimpses of it every now and then, don't you? I love their Advent reading this morning. He says, you can experience this kingdom, this peace, in moments like when people forgive one another. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Well, that's shalom. That's Proverbs 16, 7. You're mending what is broken, a broken relationship. You're reconciling. Or a new convert, baptism, Lord's Supper, or a sunrise, or a bird chirping and singing. You experience these breakthroughs of heaven filling up earth. It happened at the arrival of Jesus and then the, the biggest peace that we needed, the biggest brokenness and mending that we needed, we see happens in Romans chapter five, verse one. We've been justified by faith, so now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 13 through 17, look what Jesus accomplishes. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. He's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. And then Jesus, before he ascends to the Father, promising to return one day with the fullness of his kingdom of peace, he says to his disciples in John 14, 27, and this is relevant for us today, so relevant, friends. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He says also in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so as followers of Jesus, as the children of God and ambassadors of his kingdom, as Matthew 5 says, we are called to be peacemakers. Look at just a few biblical exhortations. One in the Old Testament, Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, 18. Talk about relationships. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Or Romans 14, verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Exhortations go on and on and on all over scripture that we are to be a people of peace who pursue peace, make peace, are peacemakers. But how do we do this? If this is another you know, wave of renewal, 
where God is reminding you that peace has broken into our world, that he is a God of peace, that shalom has come to make all things whole and complete, and you're to be, you know, mending the brokenness, and you're supposed to experience in your heart this fruit of the Spirit, peace, tranquility, trust in the Lord. If you're not supposed to have your hearts be troubled and overcome with anxiety and fear and worry in the world, how do we do this? How do we live into the peace that God has brought to us through Jesus? How do we mend what is broken? How do we experience tranquility? Now, the answer to that question requires far more than 10 to 15 minutes, which is why I can't hear what Mike has to say on Sermon Plus. And so, you know, knowing I can only do so much this morning, what I want to do with the remaining time is I want to offer you a few words on what I think may just be our biggest hindrance to peace and also our biggest need when it comes to discovering, developing, and deepening our experience of peace. And here's the punchline. This is what I believe the New Testament reveals, and we're going to look at a few passages. Peace comes with practice. You know, peace doesn't just happen to you. Now, you've been given peace. The God of peace is with you. He's given you his peace. He's left it with you. But you know, in your experience of life, with all that's happening in your heart, your mind, and the world around you, Peace isn't just like spontaneous. It's not like you just like drive out in the car and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, all these cars and traffic and alarms and my clock and text messages and my to-do list. It's just like peace. It's not your experience. Peace comes with practice. Look at Philippians chapter four with me. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious, or as Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, okay? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, here comes our first practice. By prayer, so you're doing something, and supplication with a posture, a heart of thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So immediately it's like, all right, the first pathway to peace is pray. You've got to take all the things that are fighting and hindering your peace, and you've got to bring them to the Lord. There's an act here. And then it says, and the peace of God, after you pray and do this, which surpasses all understanding, will now guard your hearts which were troubled in Christ Jesus. And then watch this next practice. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, once you've gotten rid of all the anxious thoughts and all the trouble, think on these things. Set your mind on these things. Fill your heart and your emotions and your posture yourself to uh, reflect on these things. And then listen to what Paul says. What you have learned and received, and heard, and seen, and me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that amazing? Paul says, do you want to experience the peace of God? Do you want the God of peace to be with you? Here's what you need to do. What you've heard from me, what you've learned, what you've received, practice these things. It's amazing. Peace comes with practice. 
Remember we said that peace is not just the absence of something, but it's the presence of something. It's true for the practices as well. We've talked about it. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to you know, set up a new rule of life, if you're going to do what Jesus did, then one of the first things you're going to have to do is stop other things. We've said the first engagement in the practices is subtraction, not addition. If you come in guns blazes with addition, you're, going to, you're already losing. There needs to be subtraction and addition. It's actually the same thing here when we think about, you know, peace. There needs to be something removed in my heart first, trouble, anxiety, worry, submitted to the Father in prayer before I can be filled with the peace of God. Philippians 4 quite literally gives us two practices. If you want to experience peace, pray. And the second, renew your mind. Mike's been saying for a while that mindset, the practice of mindset, or renewing your mind is an actual practice. I totally agree. It's all over Paul's letters. Look actually at how elsewhere in Scripture we see a correlation between our mindset and peace. Look at the Old Testament, Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect shalom whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Romans 8, 6. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Different, but not really. Actually, look at that, that verse. Keep that verse up there for me, Sarah. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Actually, something interesting is happening in this, in Colossians 3, this passage, because that word let is not in the Greek. If you read this in the Greek, it literally just says, and the peace of Christ is ruling in your hearts. Colossians 3.15, the peace of Christ is right now, currently, and will continue to reign in your hearts. That is the actual experience of the person who has put on Christ. Remember John 14, 27, Jesus says, I leave my peace with you. I'm giving my peace to you. You don't need your hearts to be troubled. You don't need to be afraid. I've given you my peace to rule your hearts. So don't let trouble come into your heart and crowd it out. Let my peace rule. And if the like, the base foundation experience of a Christian is that peace rules their heart, then it says something to us when we diagnose our hearts and it's full of trouble. I've, my mind must not be stayed on Jesus. Isaiah 26. Maybe I'm not trusting him. Isaiah 26. The experience of those that set their minds on Christ, those who set aside time and space to be with Jesus, to do what he did, to become like him, those, you know, the experience of those who are apprentices of Jesus and are following him on the way is shalom, is peace. They feel complete. They feel whole. There's an inner testimony of even amidst the chaos, God is with me. I'm good. I trust him. Things are going to work out for my good. It's not like neglecting the reality of suffering. It's just being aware of the presence of God with me. And you tie in last week, knowing that I have a hope that one day all things will be made new. Shalom. A quiet calm. Doesn't that sound awesome? <laughs> Rest. Freedom. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a front row seat to see God mending brokenness around you, making broken things whole? 
or even using you to be a part of it. And so we've just seen in Jesus' words and Paul's words a major hindrance to the peace that Jesus gave to us. Troubled hearts. You can see this in Philippians 4, being anxious of heart. James calls it a divided heart. So it's like, well, what's the remedy? What do we need to do? Paul says, practice these things, what you've heard, received, and learned. So there's this great, um, there's a great remedy that's given actually in the Old Testament in Psalm 131. David Pallison, who I would recommend to you for sure, was a huge help to me here in this remedy that we find in Psalm 131 about the troubled, anxious heart. Most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. Look at what the psalmist says. The psalm is only three verses. Look at verse one. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, puffed up. My eyes are not raised too high. Listen to this. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I've calmed and quieted my soul. I've composed myself like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The noise in our souls are often generated by us thinking about things that are too great and too marvelous for us. Ecclesiastes calls it chasing after the wind or grasping for the wind. The psalmist here implies that troubled hearts occur when we pursue impossibilities rather than certainties. We do the contrast of verse 1 and we occupy ourselves with things that are, are just, they're just beyond us. It's too much for us. As Philippians 4 warns about, we become anxious about everything. You name it, I'm anxious about it. And why? Because you don't know what's going to happen. It's out of your control. And to have peace requires that you actually have to trust God in what you don't know, and what you cannot control. And the psalmist here says, I've quieted and calmed my soul. I'm not allowing myself to think about things that are too great and too marvelous. Listen to these testimonies and see if any of these things resonate in your experience. Do any of these things, you know, is, it, is, is, is this the initial thought sometimes in your heart or your mind or your soul, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're just a mile down the road of thoughts? You know, it would be nice to get a little bit more respect and appreciation from my family. I sure would love if the appliances in our home and our cars could just stay working for goodness sake. Apparently, somebody had a laundry you know, disaster this week. I want approval and understanding from acquaintances and coworkers and my superiors. I want respect. I want to be included and not miss out on the things my friends are doing. I want satisfaction and compensation for the way that others did me wrong. If others would just own up and then treat me right, I'd feel better. If only I had better health. Why can't I get healthy? Why can't I be healthy? If only I had more money. How do I get more money? How do I get out of debt? If I had a more meaningful job, I hate my job. If I had nicer clothes, if I could have a restful vacation, then I'd be more satisfied. Then I'd have peace. Then I could rest. I want success, just a little more success, even just a little bit more recognition. If people knew how athletic I was, 
if I could be more beautiful, if people knew how intellectual and smart I was, if I could be a better musician or a better leader or a better mother, if I could just be recognized and appreciated. I want control. Comfort, ease, and convenience sure would be nice too. Or I want to feel good. I want to feel good about myself. I want to have more self-confidence. I want to believe in myself. I mean, the list goes on. But ultimately, what are all these things really saying that consume our minds and then we just go down these rabbit holes constantly? They're saying, I want my way. I want God to do my will. Or better yet, I just want to be God. And so we allow all these thoughts to take up residence in our minds and it's just too much. And our hearts become troubled. We become anxious. It's a cancer to our peace. And so the psalmist of 131 says, well, here's how I fixed that. I weaned myself. I weaned myself. Now, those of you who are moms and have breastfed, you know that that process is frustrating for the child, disorienting. A weaning child experiences deprivation, disappointment, confusion. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're not going to feed me? What's this, you know, plastic thing you're putting in my mouth with applesauce on it? I don't want that. Even grief. I mean, it can cause grief. The child who's being denied what was given to him so freely now has to learn to grow in a different way. And the reasons why being denied his mother's breast is the best thing for him is too great and too marvelous for him to understand. He has to now endure a struggle, work through grief, get the tears out, dry them off, and then finally yield and submit to his mother's wisdom. And in time, that same child who in the weaning process is as restless as can be on his mother's lap, will learn to sit still and be at peace and quiet. That's what we must do. This is what the psalmist says he did. We have to compose ourselves. We have to quiet the busyness of our hearts and our minds. We need to sit and be still for goodness sake. When's the last time you were just still? No phone. You weren't working through your to-do list. You were just present with the Lord and you were aware that he was present with you. And you were still. And you were grateful. And you prayed. And you submitted all of your troubled heart and your anxieties to the Lord. Rather than thinking about things that are too great and too marvelous. I mean, my goodness, the time, I could tell you time and time again, I, I fight it often tossing and turning in bed. Those of you who can just lay down on bed, <laughs> lay down your bed and fall asleep, that's a spiritual gift like I've never even heard. Of. I mean, talk about peace. Tell me your ways. I'll hear and receive and learn from you and practice what you're doing for sure. You either don't care about anything or the Spirit of God is in you. <laughs> oh, man. My personality, I'll, I'll just, I'm just like, I don't even know that I can sleep right now. I should probably be doing something. Paul tells us to, to think about attainable things. 
that which God has for us, things that are in the list he gives are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think on these things. That's a practice. Renew your mind. Set your mind on these things. And he says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, which by the way is he's just doing what he learned from Jesus. He's saying, practice these things. And if you practice these things, if you pray and set your mind on these things, if you bring your troubled hearts and your anxiety before the Lord, what's going to happen is the God of peace is going to make himself known to you. And you're going to experience shalom. All the chaos and brokenness It's not like it's fixed. It's not like your to-do list is done. But all of a sudden, you've got a sense of peace. Pallison says, to quiet your soul means to silence the noise and tumult, to say shh to your desires. Oh, man. And fears and opinions and anxieties and agendas and irritabilities. This sort of composure and quietness is not apathy. It's alertness. It's conscious, it's not unconscious. He goes on and says of the psalmist in Psalm 131, amazingly, this man isn't noisy inside. He's not busy, busy, busy. He's not obsessed, he's not on edge. The to-do list and pressures to achieve don't consume him. Ambition isn't constantly churning inside of him. Failure and despair don't haunt him. Anxiety isn't spinning him into free fall. He isn't preoccupied with thinking up the next thing he wants to say. Regrets don't corrode his inner experience. Irritation and dissatisfaction don't devour him. He's not stumbling through the minefield of blind longings and fears. He's quiet. Are you quiet inside? Is the experience of the psalmist in Psalm 131 your experience too? If not, then what What's the noise going on inside of your heart and your mind? Why is your heart troubled? Do the words of Jesus say anything against those fears or those anxieties? Do you have to be afraid? Do you have to do all those things? Is it worth all of your attention? Why do you lose your composure sometimes? What is it inside of you that causes you to be so busy and so preoccupied? What consumes your thoughts? What does your prayer life look like? Are you renewing your your mind? Are you ever silent? Do you ever get alone with God? You know, I grew up in an era of Christianity and in a pocket of Christianity where it was like, you know, I professed faith in Christ, I was baptized, and they're like, quiet time, quiet time, quiet time, quiet time. Quiet time was built into me. It's like what you need to do every day, Dave. My dad taught me, read a psalm and proverb of the day, read like a chapter else from the New Testament, spend 30 minutes, and then go on your day. And, you know, there was so much talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. Some of you know, the negativity that's come off of that when it's been pigeonholed is that everything is a personal relationship and you don't experience the beauty of community. Uh, Or you can look at like a practice like spending time with the Lord and quiet and reading and praying as something that's very, very legalistic, especially because sometimes that was the culture associated with it. Have you had your quiet time? And it's like, it's like, 
you know, if you just have your quiet time, then you're a real, a real Christian, you know what I mean? It's like, a, like almost like a grade in a box you're checking. And so I get all of that. But why do we not talk about quiet times anymore? Don't you think it would be really good for your relationship with Jesus and others to spend time alone with the Lord in his word and in prayer? You know, we haven't gotten this far in the practices yet, talked about silence and solitude, but it's something that Jesus did constantly. Constantly. I can't wait, actually, for us to talk about silence and solitude and generosity and Sabbath and community. Oh, it's going to be the best. The Jesus way is just the best. When's the last time you just closed your eyes and said to yourself, Stop! <laughs> for two seconds and you were just present with God. When I was preparing for the sermon, I'm like, I, Dave, this is what you're going to do when you deliver your sermon. You're going to have a lot of pauses because I want people to feel how uncomfortable they've become with silence. come to a prayer and praise service, you know, any, any kind of group prayer time. And it's like, all right, what we're going to do is we're just going to be silent before the Lord for a few minutes. <laughs> I can like hear the internal groan of half the people like, oh, oh, why do I do that? Somebody quick say something. It's like, all right, let's, let's start praying. Somebody give God thanks. And it's like, I do not mind five minutes of silence before the first brother or sister gives God thanks. And I can just hear people in the room being like, oh, please, somebody say something quick. It's just so uncomfortable for us. We're so busy. We're so preoccupied. Our hearts are so troubled. Remember that shalom is not just the absence of something. It's the presence of something. Better yet, it's the presence of someone. Here we are, Advent 2023. Another wave is coming for you to understand and experience Jesus' peace in a way like you never have, and you probably need it more now than ever. If you want to discover, develop, and deepen your experience of shalom, you're going to need to practice patience or peace. Oh, patience too. That might, have been, that might have been a word from the Lord for somebody. You need to draw near to God, and then you need to linger in his presence. You need to cultivate a posture of quiet and rest. You need to learn it. It doesn't just happen. It's not spontaneous. It's intentional. It's purposeful. It's conscious. It's chosen. The psalmist literally says, I've composed and quieted my soul. And this happens. This kind of peace and shalom comes in relationship with Jesus. You learn it from him. John 14, my peace I leave with you. I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. And so this Advent season, I want you to remember that God's shalom has broken into your brokenness. He has given you his peace to rule your hearts, and your minds. That is the experience of those who follow Jesus on the way. And so quite practically, I want to encourage you, before you go to bed tonight, to pull up your calendar and mark off times this week. The, the length, when, all that, I just leave up to you. Maybe it's outside, maybe it's in a closed door. Turn your phone off, get away, get quiet, get alone with the Lord. And as your thoughts start running and these things come up, just pray the Lord's Prayer over them. 
bring them to Jesus. Supplication, prayer. Posture your heart into a, a place of gratitude. Be still, quiet your soul. Think about lovely, pure, honorable, worthy of praise things. Set your minds quite literally on Christ and the God of peace will be with you. And over time, as you cultivate this practice of peace and you learn it, what's gonna happen is you're gonna experience the shalom of God in more and more meaningful ways and God is going to use you to bring his shalom to the community around you, amen? Let's bow our heads. Before we sing, why don't you just take a few moments where you are Quiet your heart and your soul before the Lord. Respond as the Spirit leads.